0: Come in.
1: Hey, man, I'm sorry I made the transportation.
0: Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of
1: work. It's Employee of the Month with Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. Welcome to Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus. And if it's your first time tuning in, Employee of the Month is all about jobs. I interview people who I admire about their careers just to give you like a glimpse and a taste of what is out there, um, whether you're doing what you love or think you might like something else. Um, And even if you don't plan to like quit your job as a hot air balloonist, but just wanted to know what it's like to be an accountant, I still think it's a lot of fun to hear from um, people from all walks of life. And this episode is with Suwad Amiri, who is an author and architect. Um, she lives in the West Bank, um, which is in the West Bank city of Ramallah. And she's phenomenal to me for many reasons. One is she's a lot of fun. She's a real character. You'll see in our, you'll see, you'll hear in our interview. Um, but she also was an architect and really worked on conservation and particularly conserving Parts of not just land, but the actual institutions and homes and, and buildings um, so that they were protected um, in what's considered Palestine. So Rawak Center for Architectural Conservation is something that she helped co-found. You can go to R-I-W-A-Q to check it out. But the reason that I had her on the show is because I saw her perform her one-woman show. Um, she, at later in life, decided um, to start writing. And the way that it started is she was under siege, it was during the Intifada, and she was living with her mother-in-law, and she would complain to a friend through emails. And those turned into Sharon and My Mother-in-Law, Ramallah Diaries, that was her first book. Um, And she went on to do another one, Nothing to Lose But Your Life, an 18-hour journey with Murad. You can also check out her TED Talk. Um, once you hear our episode, you'll understand why Sharona, my mother-in-law, has been translated into over 19 languages. Um, it was a bestseller in France, and it was awarded the 2004 prestigious Viareggio Prize in Italy um, with the Italo israeli Manuela Diviri, a journalist and playwright. Um, he also won. Sadly, his son was was killed, Um, and it is such a hard time right now, and I think that this episode was particularly exciting to be able to record, to know what it is like, or have a glimpse into what it is like to live in um, awful circumstances and still find a way to create something you care about. Uh, It was recorded live at Joe's Pub. Enjoy. I think we're ready for our next guest, and she has flown in from Palestine and Italy. I'm not sure which one. We'll find out when she gets here <laughs> where she jet headed from. I can't tell if our next guest has any fans in the audience. I just, I can't figure that out. Um, she is a Phenomenal writer, and I um, was really excited because I I was introduced to her by a former employee of the month. Most of our guests um, come because someone on the show recommends it to someone else and says, I really want you to come do this show. And um, Julia Baca, who had done one of our first shows, uh, who runs Just Vision, had said, you've got to meet Suad. I went to go see her perform, and I said, yes, I do. So here she is, without further ado, the one and only Suad Amiri.
0: my vodka with me just in case. Okay, good. Uh, oh. By the way, I didn't know you were Jewish.
1: <laughs> if I knew, I
0: would have left the stage. I don't know, what is it? All the people who support me in this town are Jewish. I don't know if it's a Zionist uh, plot or anything, but anyway, for tonight, I'm going to be relaxed and see what happens. Thank you for having me on your show. You know, a Palestinian feels a bit nervous when all the Jews support them. (laughs) Anything wrong with me? Uh, Not that I know,
1: not yet. Yeah, okay. And judging from how many emails I got from you in one day, I realized I we know. must be related, because I think you sent... Yeah. I'd, I'd known you for five minutes, and I got 75 in my inbox. Yeah, so I, I know. Like, yeah. Pushy, pushy, pushy. <laughs> we
0: learn from our neighbors. Okay. <laughs> Just keep at it, keep at it. Repeat it, repeat it, repeat it until the world gets it, yes. Um, as a
1: uh, non-Israeli... Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel uh, your pain. Uh, um, so in all seriousness, um, you had said that most architects, uh, not most, but you had said a lot of architects were dyslexic, and I thought that was very
0: interesting. Yes. Um, is that true? Well, in my case, it's very true, actually. I, uh, you know, we always try to think why we became what we are. Like if you're a musician or a writer or an architect, I became an architect, and I had this very interesting, you know, romantic kind of a story, that I became an architect because of the following. I am half Palestinian, half Syrian. What a terrible thing to be at this moment in history, (laughs) but this is the reality. And I grew up between Damascus and Amman. That's where we became refugees. But my father is from Jaffa. So, I grew up really in the absence of a town. I was a refugee in Jordan, so I had to, rem- to imagine how Jaffa looked like, how Palestine looked like. But at the same time, my mother was Syrian, and I don't know how many of you have been to Damascus or how many of you know my mother, who's a very strong character. We can only imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It'll be hard for us, but yeah. we're going to work on it. <laughs> I am just the, the product of that lady. And, you know, uh, couldn't put that together. <laughs> So I have this theory that, you know, I, uh, I became an architect because I grew up in Syria. If you know Syria, with all the n- little na- narrow alleys, the souks. I mean, it leaves an impression on your brains, and my mother did as well. While I, on the other side, there was an absence of a, of a place, which, which is Jaffa, where my father came from. So I always had this romantic Uh, explanation of why I became an architect, that I lived between the two, the absence and this. But in reality, I just discovered that I became an architect because I was dyslexic. (laughs) So I made this theory that, you know, I I would like you to make a survey, but I have a feeling that most artists and most architects are dyslexic. And that's why we go, you know, because... Right. When you write, you write on your left side, high, side of your brains. And when you design, you design on the other side of your brains. Hello, Julia. Well, nice meeting you. And uh, Lil also. Lil also. Nice meeting you. So anyway. Um, hey, I, how did you
1: I, just meet right now?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, I. Um, what was I saying? Does I dyslexia mean I, you read mine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I became I became I became an architect because I was dyslexic because you know we architects we we are called uh, world word not world word uh, blind we don't see word actually we don't see word we just see images and that's how I became an architect.
1: Um, So I I was going to ask how you became a writer but I I mean it's pretty obvious.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that—that's another story. We'll get to it when you ask me the question. I will answer. We've
1: got to skip like seventeen questions, I'm guessing. So we'll just go to that one. Yeah,
0: you know, my my problem is I never answer questions. You know, I ignore them totally, whatever they Thank are. You. And Thank you. Thank you so I much. I'm so, so glad so you came. You know, Thank I you just, so much. I, I, you know, when you you know, you as a get into I must tell yeah. you something. I must tell you something. As a Palestinian, nobody ever listened to us. So if you have the so microphone, what? I have a if deal you have with the you. microphone, you know <laughs> it's just like you ignore everybody else. Okay. Like I have this microphone tonight, and nobody's going to take it from me. <laughs> so you. <have laughs> so
1: I'm. I'm so glad you created an oppositional relationship from the beginning. <laughs> Never even like looking no, for gonna, peace. No, no, oh no, no no
0: no! It's all right. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, Save I'm gonna, it. I'm gonna um, have to listen to one of your questions and ask. Uh, it's and very to very polite of you. Very diplomatic. <laughs> um, what was the uh, what was the question by the way? How does your husband put up with you? No, sorry. (laughs) By the way, I have a part-time husband, just to answer your question. I am living in New York. He's living in Ramallah, Palestine, so that answers your question. Okay, good. And it's the best best marriage you can ever have. Believe me. Part-time husbands are more than enough. And quarter of a time of a husband is even better. And no husband, maybe, is the best. The best.
1: <laughs> okay. Let's talk about. Um, <laughs>
0: good.
1: I'm trying to be diplomatic still, so I'm going to do it one more time. Uh, 2001 to 2004. To 2004, around. I think you were the. I want to talk about the intifada, and oh, being okay. being at home yeah. for 44 days. Oh yes. Uh, with no one to talk to. Except yeah. for one person, yeah. um, d- tell me about your experience um, during the intifada. Yeah. Well, see how you see how you take a train and you bring it back to the station.
0: You got me on that one. Okay. I- I'll get back to you. <laughs> what if I don't answer? What power do you have over me if I don't answer? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I don't, I don't no, even no, know. No, either. no, no, no. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, <laughs> it's a good question, actually. Okay. Now, as I explained to you, my left part of my side—I don't, I can't remember which part of my brains doesn't work—but anyway, I tell you something. When I was little girl, my mother used to say, you know, you have to become a lawyer. You have to become a lawyer because the judge would be so. Bored with you talking all the time, you're gonna win all the cases just because you talk and talk and talk. So, the one thing really I never, never, never thought I would become is a writer, I must admit to you, because I'm dyslexic. I mean, I don't know how many, how many of well, you are. You have in,
1: to be quiet while you're how writing. How many you are you, present.
0: how many of the people here are dyslexic? Yeah, you know what it means. You know, we spend the whole hour trying to. Uh, spell the word apple, you know, I have no idea whether it's two P, there is something double in it, but I don't know which, where, where it is. Uh, anyway, the one thing I never came, realized that I will become, maybe I will become, I love nature, I could become a gardener, I love animals. You know, my husband always said, you talk to our dog more than you talk to me, which is very true. <laughs> and, you know, the, the only thing that I did not think I will ever become is a writer. So in 2002, Sharon, I don't know how many of you who Sharon is. Sharon is the ex-prime minister of Israel. I think they know. So Sharon uh, has occupied Ramallah, where I live. And Ramallah is just for you. Maybe you don't know where Ramallah, Jerusalem. We are 14 kilometers north of Jerusalem. So the Israeli army reoccupied, occupied, occupied, occupied Ramallah. They have occupied it like 14 times in their life. I was living on my own. My husband, thank God, he was traveling. And I happened to have a mother-in-law. My mother-in-law was 91 years old when Sharon decided to come and occupy my town. And my mother-in-law was living close to Arafat compound. I don't know how many of you remember how the Israelis bombarded Arafat compound. And I was praying. I wish they miss, you know? My mother-in-law was here, Arafat was here. Maybe they can miss and, you know, just get it wrong. But the problem is the Israeli army is so accurate sometimes, not always. In this case, they did not get my mother-in-law. So at the end of the day, I had to go and get her to come and live with me. The Israelis have put us under curfew for 44 days. I don't know how many of you have been under curfew, but it means they will just uplift the curfew every three or four days. So the first time they lifted the curfew, I tried to go and get my mother-in-law, poor woman. She's 91 years old, living on her own, so I have to come bring her to live with me. The first time I tried, I, you know, the Israeli army turned me back. The second time they lifted the curfew, I tried again. I didn't really try again, because I didn't want to have my mother-in-law come and join. But anyway, I tried so hard, I didn't succeed. Eventually, the third time, I had my mother-in-law come and live with me. I can't tell you, I ended up with two occupations. One outside the house with Sharon and Mrs. Army, and one inside the house. And please don't ask me which was more difficult, the Israeli occupation or my mother-in-law occupation. Don't ask me. Because I'll get a divorce if I ever answer that question. (laughs) So, here I am, under curfew, and my mother-in-law is a very elegant woman. She's in total denial. There is no occupation, there is no Israeli army. So in the morning, it's like... So ah yes, mother, It's like, let's get breakfast ready. It's like, just, you know, mother, we're under curfew. We don't need to eat exactly at 8. You know, she wanted to eat at 8, 1, and 7 in the evening. And we had to set the table, put the flowers, as if the Israelis were not bombarding the town, and Janine was under curfew. And, you know, she wanted everything. And she was just driving crazy. We were both driving one another crazy, actually. So eventually I decided... that's so
1: strange that you would drive her crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, thank you, you know? I love you, I love you. so wonderful, so wonderful. So anyway, you know, I always tell the Israelis, listen, I may, I may one day forgive you for the, all the atrocities that you did against the Palestinian people, but the one thing I'll never forgive you, Never, never, never is having my mother-in-law with me for 44 days, which felt 44 years. So here I was sitting with my mother-in-law. One night I was writing about her And next day I was writing about the Israeli occupation. One night about her and next day about the Israeli occupation. So I wrote almost like 44 stories. And I sent them to my friends and I said, please, please, please do not share with anybody until they got into... A friend of mine, an Italian. You know how crazy the Italians are. Sorry, sorry, uh, Fiamma, where are you, Sandro? Sorry, I'm really sorry, but because, you know the Italians are so crazy. So this Luisa Morgantini takes the, she calls me. She was the vice president of the European Union. Is like, so what? Can I can I make copies and make the European Parliament read your stories? It's like, why would the European Parliament be interested in my mother-in-law making marmalade? and drive me crazy. Anyway, next thing I know, she sent it to a publisher, and next thing I received this phone call from Alberto Rollo from Filtrinelli. You know, in Italy, Milano, Filtrinelli is like, the Canadas is here. It's like, I'm calling you from Filtrinelli. It's like, where? I thought maybe it's a country in Africa somewhere. It's like, where? It's like, Filtrinelli, I don't know. What is it about? He said, we want all world's rights. It's like, what do you want? It sounded like rolls rights to me. You know, we architects, we don't know these things. And he says, we want all world's rights. It's like, excuse me, what is world's rights? It's like all languages. We want to buy all languages. I'm like, what? Arabic is not for sale. You know, I got nationalistic (laughs) all of a sudden. It's just, no, I'm not selling the Arabic language. He says, okay, okay. We buy all languages except Arabic and that's why the book is in all languages except Arabic. And in case you haven't <laughs> read that book Whoa. Yee, it has my Palestinian passport. Bring it back, bring it back. Please, please, please. Yee. And the other passports, we have two passports here, you know. Okay. okay. Later. Okay. <laughs> She asked me to stop talking, okay. <laughs> I,
1: w- I wanted to ask about um, getting a passport with your dog, because we don't have a lot of time, but I did want to um, share this.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I grew up actually in a family. My mother loved animals. My dad loved animals. And we, you know, in the garden, we had like gazelles Uh, My mother had like 200 pigeons, all kind of colors. We had like monkey, dogs. Uh, Anyway, I grew up with animals. So when I went to live in the West Bank in Palestine, I ended up with a dog. That dog, I sort of picked it from the street. And it was a a stray dog. No breed, you know. So I bring it home, and it was small, and it was like growing, 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 growing bigger and bigger, and bigger. And I called him Antar, and I don't know some of you here. Antar is the very macho name in Arabic. Like if you, you know, the biggest macho name is Antar. But anyway, I, I, it needed a vaccine, so I called the, uh, I asked, is there a vaccine in Ramallah? They say, yeah, yeah, there is a Dr. Hisham. So I called Dr. Hisham, and I said, please come here, I need a vaccine. Sure enough, he comes. And then, you know, he sits. And like all Palestinians, when we have a conversation, you know, we start with Belfort uh, declaration, 1917. You know, this is how Palestinians talk. We go through the, you know, the British mandate, the whole thing, the first intifada, second intifada. And then I was just like, aren't you going to give my dog a vaccine? He said, yeah, 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 yeah. So, and then, you know, he says... He sits, you know, very elegantly like this, and he says, what breed is your dog? And I like my breed. It's a stray, it's a stray How do you say it? Stray dog? Stray. Might. Yeah. Stray dog. And just for you to know, in Arabic, the stray dog is called baladi. But the same word, it means my country. I don't know why my country is called stray, <laughs> but this is how it is in Arabic. So anyway, I bring anter, and, you know, the, and Antar was, was very untrained, you know. He just came in and knocked off the coffee and he, she slept on her back like this. And my doctor looks into her and he discovers that it was a she. And he tells me, you want to spend $30, $30 on a she, on a bitch? Uh, stray dog. I said, what kind of a vaccine? What a kind of a doctor is that? So I said, yes. And he said, well, okay. So he gave it to her. I was really about to take that vaccine and give it to him. I was so annoyed. All my feminist feelings and all my national feelings came at that point. Okay. Years later, I acquired another dog. And that dog was a little one called Noura. And she was a great, you know, she was a breed dog. She was a Manchester Toy Terrier. But again, it was a she. So I wanted to give her a vaccine. I asked. I said, listen, guys, I'm not going to go to Dr. Hisham. Do you know of any other doctor? My secretary, she comes to me and she says, you know what's hot? I have a doctor for you. I have a very good vet for you. But it's like, why are you lowering your voice? Because it's an Israeli vet. It's like, no, no, I don't go to Israeli doctors and my dog is not going to go to an Israeli vet. And my my dog, my little dog comes to me and she looks at me like this. It's like, mama, what do I have to do with the conflict between the Palestinians and the Israelis, you know? You human beings have this problem, but we animals, we have no political animals, no conflict. I'm not Palestinian. I said, you're not Palestinian? No, Mama, I'm not Palestinian. Then I went home and I was thinking, well, she's right. So I called my secretary and I said, Samah. Uh, did you say in Israeli? She said, he's very good. Where is he? She says, in Atarot. It's like Atarot. Oh my God. It's almost an Israeli settlement. It's like a, a you know, it's like a, this. Uh, from, how do you call it? A, um, it's okay. Yeah, Just it doesn't keep going. Know. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so it's, a, it's almost a settlement next to Ramallah. At that time, I was a member of the delegation of the peace talks, and I had like, to protect my, my image. So I came to Nura. Nura Habibti, come here, come here. I want to tell you something. Okay. We agreed, Nura and I for were going to go to the Israeli. Israel. <laughs> <Huh? What? laughs> so anyway, we ended up going to the Israeli doctor, and the Israeli doctor came, and you know, I went to and the Israeli doctor treated Nura very, very, very nicely. So I told the doctor Hisham, "What are you to learn from the Israelis?" Anyway, she came and she tested Noura and then she told me, she came back and she says, Suwan, where does Noura live? It's like, Noura lives with me and Ramallah. Mm, Ramallah, that's a problem because that's under Palestinian authority, yes. You know, the vaccines we have here are only for Jewish dogs. It's like, what? For Jewish dogs? Like, I understand you discriminate against me, but you discriminate against my Noura, no way. And then she says, okay, we'll give her a vaccine provided you pay $30, $30 I pay. Then she comes back, you know, and she carries, she comes in with this document. I don't know how many of you can see it, but it says passport. And I look at Noura and say, Noura Habibti, do you know what's (laughs) happening here? You have a document that three and a half million Palestinians will kill for, (laughs) will kill for. (laughs) And as I was leaving, you know, the doctor says, Saad, when you go to Tel Aviv, make sure that you take this document. Tel Aviv airport. None of the Palestinians are allowed to use the Tel Aviv passport. And here is my dog. So I say, okay, Noura, Habib, get in the car. I get in the car and I go to Kalandia checkpoint. None of the Palestinians are allowed to go into Jerusalem. I get to the checkpoint and the soldiers, five soldiers surround me and they say, where are you going? I say, to Jerusalem. It's like, how are you going to Jerusalem? Ah, you haven't met Noura. <laughs> Habibti, Noura, ta'ali, ta'ali, come here. So Nora's coming, she sits on, and Noura's very happy. It's like, yeah, I am Israeli, I have a document. And then I say, listen, this Nora is only eight months old, and as you can see, she cannot drive a car on her own. <laughs> and <laughs> I happen to be her driver. And, you know, I have this passport, Palestinian passport. Like, it's get in trouble. Wherever I show it in New York, it's like, step aside, please. Step allies. So what I decided, actually, the last time I came, I used Nora's passport, and everything was fine. And you put your picture in Nora's. (laughs) Yeah, I forgot that, actually. That's it
1: for this episode of Employee of the Month. It is so funny to, like, be in New York as a Jew. I just have to say, because having grown up, uh, I know I just said, that's it for Employee of the Month. I just did the most Jewish thing in the world. Irish, leave without saying goodbye. And I say goodbye without leaving. But it is it is an odd thing. I grew up going to Christian schools. I had an aunt and uncle who took me to meditations. And I was bought mitzvah. I am a thousand percent Jewish. But... I also, like, grew up with so much awareness about the other monotheistic religions and non-monotheistic religions. Um, so it's funny to come to New York and have all these things projected onto you. And, of course, um, the outer world does, too. But what can you do? What can you do? You just have to let it in and laugh about it and try to let people know that you're, you're more. Your intersectionality is just its a reflection of all of you. And there's so many textures and colors to it. Um, Yeah, I'll stop. I will, because I really am done. But I do want to thank Alex Steiner before I head out encourage you to go to the Employee of the Month show's brand new Spankin' website, um, which looks fabulous, and get tickets to our upcoming live shows at Joe's Pub at the Public Theater. They're coming every month, kicking it off February 16th if you're in New York. And uh, if you're not, well, get a plane ticket, train ticket, maybe hot air balloon it. Um, Come. We'd love to see you there. Alright, this really is a goodbye. It's a goodbye now.